Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucking knots? Back in rotation. What the fucking knots? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Thank you all for listening, as always. And thank you all for, for gathering around in Pontiac, Michigan, in a small upstairs showroom at the Crowfoot Ballroom for a little live comedy. That was intense and amazing. I really appreciate you guys coming out. And, you know, I want to apologize. I, I honestly do. If I mischaracterized Detroit and the surrounding areas uh, in any of my social networking or perhaps on this podcast, I, I got that email. I read it the last show. I, I, I still have no sense of the Detroit area uh, because I arrived. I, I was very tired. That was quite a bit of traveling because I chose cheap tickets. Never again. I'd rather pay the extra 50 to to $100. I flew to to Detroit from Los Angeles uh, via uh, Vietnam. Okay, it wasn't that bad. I, I flew via Paris. No, it wasn't even that bad. I flew via Philadelphia. Now, I'm one of these people that I could never do that. Even if the ticket was significantly cheaper, I'd rather take the hit and eat it to not fly past my location than come back. Because it seems to me that like, okay, so I'm I'm risking my life to drive by, to fly by where I need to go in order to come back to save, what, $50? Now, granted, the risking the life things, it's, it's a little, that's, I mean, the odds are with me. But nonetheless, it took me like nine hours to get there. And then coming back, I flew Detroit to North Carolina to Los Angeles on U.S. Airways. Not terrific. They don't even have any, uh, uh, they, they don't even have any, any televised entertainment. I know I should bring my own, but it, nonetheless, I, I'm not going to shit on U.S. Airways. But I did get there and I got to Pontiac and I really had a lot of fear in my head, you know, coming into Detroit, knowing that the state was in trouble, knowing that a lot of people were unemployed, knowing that Detroit was in, in ruins to some degree. And then people started emailing me about, uh, you know, how you know Detroit is a great place, how Michigan is still a great place, that we're going through some hard times. I felt like an asshole for, uh, for condescending to it and believing the hype. Uh, and, and when I got to Pontiac, it was very interesting. It was this empty street. It seemed that it was at, at some point someone's big idea to revive that area. Uh, granted, it was a Monday night, but it was very exciting to drive up in my shitty rent-a-car with my duffel bag full of swag to see a bunch of you what-the-fuckers standing, you know, hu- you know, huddled around each other because it was a little chilly out in front of a venue that hadn't opened yet. And then uh, I was sort of put in the position to uh, to kind of hang out and wait with you because I couldn't get in either. And it was uh, it was nice to meet all you guys. And I think we had a nice show. Uh, I, we all got up there. There was uh, no, not enough chairs, and we started pulling chairs in from the other room, and it, it all worked out. And I think I cured a guy of his hiccups. Uh, some guy right up front, stage left, had the hiccups, and I couldn't help but address it because in the in the quiet moments uh, of a joke where there's a little silence, and some guys are like. <laughs> You know, it, it's a little distracting to, and it, it kept going on, and I and I knew that other people must be noticing it, and and I figured that if I were to to to, to make to, to draw attention to it, that if they weren't noticing it, they'd notice it more. But it was irritating me, so I just I I eventually said, "Dude, how long is this going to go on for?" And he goes, "I don't know. I think they're done." And I'm like, "I don't know if they're done." And then I started a joke, and right as I started the joke, I jumped off the stage and I screamed into the mic right into his face to scare the fuck out of him. And I swear to you. They went away. They went away. Good times. On the show today, one of the original creators of Human Giant, Paul Shear. Uh, you also may know him from uh, the popular new FX show, The League. He is part of that ensemble with a few other guys that have been on this show. Nick Kroll, Steve Renazizi. But Paul is here today. He's got uh, a surprisingly, uh, you know, you think you know some people. And it, but I, I knew nothing of him and we have no uh, we, we weren't really buddies. But, you know, you make assumptions about somebody and then you're surprised. So uh, look forward to that again. Thank you, Pontiac. And also tomorrow night at the UCB Theater here in Los Angeles. That would be uh, the 19th, eight o'clock p.m. Live WTF with Aaron Foley, John Daly, Eddie Pepitone, Jim Earl and Dr. Steve. But don't tell Eddie Pepitone because we're doing a little intervention. So that aside, Let's get to the issue at hand, and that is airline travel. That's what I'm going to tell you right now. I do a lot of it because of my uh, my racket, my uh, biz, 
And uh, I was flying with Jessica to Hollywood, to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, on, what did we, what did we go, Monday for Thanksgiving, spend some time with, uh, with my mother. And uh, I go to check my uh, tickets on Virgin, Air- Virgin America, and we had booked a month ago, and we had seats together. And then I go to the uh, to the reservation, and there, the seats are two middle seats on opposite sides of the plane. I was fucking livid. I just don't know how much. I mean, this may be a little thing, but at some point, you know, we get to this place where we're so powerless in the face of corporations and how they treat, especially air travel. I don't know when we all just decided that, like, well, whatever they tell us is just bullshit. Uh, we paid for a ticket and we got a seat, but we may not even get on the plane. And somehow we just tolerate that. I know it's a small thing, but at some point, you got to make a stand. And I did something that I don't usually do, and I certainly wouldn't do it to an individual, but I bullied Virgin America on Twitter. I did it. I tweeted that, you know, what the fuck is this? Because I called the call center, and of course they were like, uh, well, there's nothing we can do when you get to the airport. You can, uh, you know, try to remedy this. And I'm like, no, that's not the point. We paid for seats a month ago. How the fuck were we the ones that got moved? And they're like, well, sir, we can... I didn't say that because I learned a lesson a long time ago that apparently customer service, it's not their job to be yelled at by you and they will hang up on you. And that's an awkward moment uh, when you're yelling at a customer service representative and they say, uh, I, I don't have to take this and they hang up on you. So if you're going to engage, be polite, but be, you know, be forceful, you know, do, you know, persistent. So I said, well, I want to talk to a supervisor about why we got moved. Why were we picked? Why am I the low guy on the totem pole? It could be, it could be a lot of reasons. It could be I don't fly a lot, maybe the fare of the ticket. I don't know, but I talked to a supervisor, and she said, look, what happened was is that you know someone else was flying through. They were, it was a continuation flight, and they, uh, they didn't have the seats blocked out at the time. And I'm like, how is that my problem? And now I got to sit you know, at opposite ends of the plane from the person I'm traveling with who, who I'd like to be next to if we do die. Because I, you know, if the plane is going down, I don't want it to scramble to the back of the plane to sit on my girlfriend's lap so we can die together. And also, it's nice to have someone to talk to. All right, you know, those are two very extreme examples of, of why traveling together is good. But nonetheless, uh, they said, well, look, there's nothing we can do here. This is just a call center. I said, well, should I call guest services? They, and they said, I wish you would because we're not in a position to do anything other than what I'm doing right now. And I had sort of a candid, uh, you know, intimate conversation with this customer care person. I was like, yeah, I hear you, man. You know, when, <laughs> when the customer service person at the call center is like, no kidding, you know, we're strapped. To, we're, in a, we're in a bind as well. And I'm like, well, I'm going to fucking take this to the people. So I tweeted it. I basically said, why at Virgin America did you change my seats? And then, I, of course, I said a few other things. And I asked people to rally around me, uh, which you didn't, which was probably smart. But I was, I was a little taken aback that I didn't get more support. And within an hour of tweeting it, I got uh, a message by the representative at Virgin America, who I guess was in charge of their social network, who said, let's deal with this tomorrow. He gave me his email. I emailed him my information. And also, I got this was the one good thing I got from Twitter. Somebody told me the Twitter handle uh, of, uh, of the VP of publicity for Virgin. So I tweeted her as well. And uh, I got an email this morning saying, you know, the, uh, you know we're going to deal with it. And then within an hour, I, I was uh, I was given new seats together. So I appreciate the customer service. But the fact that I had to go to that extreme to get something done and the fact that most of us stop at that first wall at the call center and we and we suck it up and we take it and we go to the airport, you know, with you know entering our vacation or our business trip with frustration and fear of being fucked by an airline. I just don't know when it became like that. And I know it's something we all take for granted. But then some people started tweeting, you know, quit whining. You know, fuck you. You know, whining. What is whining? So what are we supposed to do? So, you know, and these are the same people that are like, don't be a pussy. Quit whining. But when am I supposed to whine? When is whining not just justified anger? And it was never whining. Are we just supposed to suck it up and be bitter and accept the fact that we're being screwed on a day-to-day basis by corporate entities that give no shit about us at all and only care about their bottom line and just expect us to behave, you know, uh, in reaction to their insensitivity? I mean, where is there in this world right now, where is there not a better cause? And I know, obviously, I'm just talking about an airline issue and a seating problem, but I think it travels. I think it goes all the way up the chain. If we just suck that up and say, well, it's just the way it is, where is that anger going? I'll tell you where it's going. It's going into obesity. It's going into cancer. It's going into domestic abuse. It's going into, you know, to, to hitting your dog. 
heart attacks. For fuck's sake, take them to task if you can. Put the extra effort in. We don't have to fucking surrender at every goddamn turn. Man, I'm all full of the beans. Let me change my tone. Jesus. Thank you, Virgin America, for being so upright in your response and in your amazing customer service. I'm not being paid for this plug, but they did fix it. Are you a clue in a TV Guide crosswords? I was, uh, yeah, years ago, back in the day, I was a clue in a TV Guide crossword. That was a big day for me, That Paul. is pretty amazing. Have you ever been a clue in a TV Guide crossword? No, Did, I can't say that I have. Does TV Guide even exist anymore in that form? You know, TV Guide now is like a Time magazine. It's a big, like, glossy. So that's the only magazine that's actually grown. Yes. In the <laughs> last few <laughs> You were in on the ground floor, when, you know. That was back when it was tiny, back when we, we remember it at the checkout uh, counter when we were walking through it with our parents. That was the best, to look through TV Guide before you would come home and be like, oh, I'm going to watch this show, yeah. Oh, yeah. what's happening, yeah. and reading yeah. it. Yeah, and like actually uh, there was a time, I think, where I, I think... Uh, I made notations. Oh yeah, of like course. I'm gonna I'm gonna mark that, and then you forget to look at it again because you don't look at the TV guide. I remember anymore. being envious of a friend who had a VCR because there used to be like numbers at the end of it. It would be like you know, oh yeah, 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 you know, yeah. Beverly Hillbillies, like four seven five. Oh, you program nine. it. Yeah, and I wanted that VCR so bad. I was like, oh shit, make life so simple. I forgot that that VCRs did that. That yeah. it was had this weird number assignment, and you could just put it in, and it would automatically tape that. That one. was the evolution of TiVo and of uh, what do you call it? What is it now? DVR. DVR. Yeah, that was the beginnings. I know, probably more complicated than anything, but that was awesome. I mean, I can't imagine how that actually worked. But. Do you remember how complicated everything was? Oh. Holy shit. Taping things before you have to leave the house and different videotapes. Oh yeah, or just cassette tapes. I mean, yeah. how old are you? I am 33. Paul Shear is 33. Are you sure? Yes. I, I never really think about it, so then I just, yeah. Uh, so you're 33. You're doing all right. I'm doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that mean? You went to, you were in junior high when? I was in junior high. Oh, junior high. In high school, I was in the high school in the, in the 90, like 92, 93, 94. Like I can't that. even imagine that. Yeah. And then I went to NYU, and I was in NYU in 95 and I was like touring around the country with Chicago City Limits which is this old thing back in New York City I remember City. that remember them? Yeah. Chicago City Limits was Leslie Upson yeah and John Weber and Le- they John now- Weber and Leslie Upson were married and I believe they still are and John Weber now owns a wrestling thing he's a wrestler and Leslie's a manager of him from what I understand like out here in California like a sort of crazy wrestling I thing. went to college with Leslie Upson oh really yeah she was super funny she was an still. English major very nice. And you were part of that Chicago City Limits, so you did improv touring. Yes, I was the fr- the youngest member at the time, and I was lying to everyone about my age so I could go out to drink with them afterwards because I was too young to get into bars. But I was like 18 years old, traveling around, like going, school would get out for NYU on Thursday, and I'd travel like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, come but back Monday. Wasn't the whole improv touring thing sort of for wash-ups, though? I mean, did you find yourself around uh, people that you would consider uh, perhaps failures? You know, back then I was looking up to everybody. Like, I, like there was a like back then it was always like I can't get a commercial agent. I was like, oh, I got to get a commercial agent. Right? These guys are so far ahead. So of you me. were like, surrounded by bitterness. Yeah, and you're and like, I, that was your map. Like, you know, everything that they were saying. God damn it! Why can't I? And you're like, I, like, I, I can. I got to get into. This. But you know, I was there with Andy Daly was there back then, and um, he was to, touring. He was actually above me. Like Andy was in the main stage, which performed. You know, every night, Monday through Friday, and we oh, would in go out New on York. the road. Yeah, it was in a basement, wasn't it? It was in a basement for a while. Then it moved over to 60th and First, right across from Dangerfields. Oh yeah, and uh, did that? Did the energy get sucked out of the place by Dangerfields <laughs> across the street? The dark, weird. Just pulled, that was a weird place. I remember going in there and walking in and hearing the first joke. It's like, you ever have a fart? It's like, and people like, yeah, and then he was like, a fart is just like a shit in prison and just crying to get out. <laughs> that, that joke is ingrained in my mind that was the when first. I think of Dangerfields. That is the joke that I remember was all that the time. A, was that a moment following, like, I wonder what stand-up's like? <laughs> and you're like, I wonder if I, maybe I could try stand-up comedy. I'm going to walk across the street. <laughs> Check out Dangerfields. Is right. that what it was? Yeah. I mean, I was I was a big comedy nerd, you know, like 
from way like so I was just excited like oh this is Rodney Dangerfield might be here not knowing that that was not the case at all yeah but, yeah just he I wanted actually to go. was there at some point was he there for a while yeah in the in the eighties okay yeah, he was so yeah I missed that then. In, in his bathrobe being awkward <laughs> have you ever encountered him yeah a few times was that here interesting. Well, yeah, uh, I I'd seen him around. I, I saw him uh, when I was a doorman at the comedy store. Okay, he never worked there, mm-hmm. and he was trying to do three minutes. For a, he was presenting an Oscar, so he was okay. trying to run this. So he gets out of his limo with his own drink, right? You know, and there's women in the limo, and he comes on. He goes on stage, he does a couple jokes, and then someone in the audience said, uh, "Hey, Rodney, why are you so sad?" And he Ooh. was like, "What?" <gasps> What, what kind of who says that you know and and it got really weird and he had no way to deal with it and he, oh. he never came back in the club and i remember that night he was sitting was you know every once in a while celebrities can only hang out with celebrities you know so they right. you find them in weird grouping sometimes <laughs> i remember in a booth it was ted nugent bruce willis and rodney dangerfield oh my god that like how does that happen i want to hear that conversation <laughs> yeah. that's the most insane yeah <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> And I don't even know how to do Bruce Willis. Would you? Um, you Bruce do impressions? Willis. No, no, I don't really do impressions. I do bad impressions. So when you were a kid, who were your guys? I mean, if you were a comedy nerd. Um, I remember when the first album that really, like, I found an old Robin Williams album in mm. my dad's uh, house. Reality, what a concept. Yeah, and I remember the joke from that being like, and now it's time for New York Echo. Hello, shut the fuck up. And, and like, like that, and be like, that whoa. Like, like, just hearing your mind. cursing, yeah, yeah. and I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> and I cherish that album, and I love that album. And then my dad got me into SNL, but into SNL when it was like Billy Crystal and Christopher Guest and right. Eddie Murphy. So I was like really into Eddie Murphy and Delirious. And, mm-hmm. and then that kind of like transitioned into like Ben Stiller show and into Mr. Show and all right. that sort of stuff. Yeah. But this whole touring improv thing, that fascinates me. Now, oh, it was it But was you, ro- it but was you toured, right? So there was a company that was always in New York. Yes. And then certain people were selected to go in a van. Well, yeah, we were the ones that wanted to be the people who stayed in New York, but we were sent out on the road, and we would go do a... Like, what, was it like weird? Was it sort of like, you have, this is part of your training? It was kind of like, you're not good enough to be on the main stage, but you can go out on the road, you know? Like, And I literally did a bar mitzvah in someone's New York City apartment where our like, backstage was their kitchen where they were pr- like preparing food. How many people? Food. Five people in the group in the kitchen, and then the bar mitzvah, I would say... Like 50, 60 people. So they, you, you got paid a certain amount of money per show. Like a hundred bucks a show. But in you're in someone's upper west side or east side apartment. Yeah, literally in their kitchen and coming out in costumes, singing like, "All right, what? Do you, give a suggestion. Uh, subway. Well, Subway gives me a case of the blues." And you're like, I got the Subway, the Subway, the Subway. Blues. And you got all these oh. overdressed thirteen-year-old kids laughing their asses off, or no? No, they didn't know what not, to not do. there. Not like in that person's <laughs> you, house. That you, was not the you failed. Why? Because they were distracted, or yeah. Yeah, it's like you're in What's someone's with the weird living grown-ups? room. Yeah, like why are they in our living room? What are they doing? And that was awkward. I, that taught me how to eat shit better than anything I've right. ever done. Like, really? And there's the, the disappointed Jappy mom going, well, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, like, we, it was like, we want you to do the full show, an hour and a half. And you're doing an hour and a half in these people's living rooms. Did and you? Yeah, they're eating food. And yeah, I did the whole During thing. During the dinner, so they had it set up at the place? Oh, yeah. I got and we and then we went on the road. We went in the deep south. Got kicked out of places because I wore a dress in a uh, in a hilarious sketch where I played Monica Lewinsky or something. Right, you know, three years after probably yeah, right. Monica Lewinsky was relevant. <laughs> and uh, you know uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, pardon me, boys. Have you seen the presidential penis? Yeah, yeah. Like that was the kind that of caliber of sure. It was like bad capital steps. Yeah, uh, but uh, <laughs> but I was in a dress and. People down south were like, no. Where in this? Um, it was in one of the Carolinas. Uh, I feel like it was in North Carolina. Let's try to, not to generalize all people down right, south, exactly. but those specific people in yes. that community. Like what, in that what, community, they. Where were you playing? We were playing a high school, mm-hmm. and we were down south, and I was in a dress, and we did the first show. It was like a two o'clock in the afternoon show. Right after the show, they said, the rest of your shows are canceled. Uh, we don't want to see men dressing up as women. And we also apologize for the black kids. They were too. Uh, abusive to you during the You're show. You're kidding. Yeah, and that was the weirdest thing. They, they would never... Actually, they never said black kids. They said, there's a lot of kids here in this audience from the wrong side of the tracks, and they were abusive, and we apologize. And were they like, abusive? No, not no. at all. And But it was really weird. That was like the first time like, we were on the road, and you felt like, oh, wow, that's like segregation. You're fired, yeah. fag. Sorry about the black kids. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Like, yeah, you fags are better than these blacks. So, <laughs> oh, But, you know, it's like... But it was... 
Yeah, like we were in some weird, rough spots, and it was always. But like when you were working with an audience, I mean, what was yeah. some of that shit like? I mean, like if it's weird and rough, I can't imagine the suggestions were. Well, was there any sort of like get off? That's my suggestion. You know, it was more like. I feel more embarrassed about what we did. It was like, whose line is it anyway? So it was a lot of like, we need an occupation. Proctologist. And it was like, all right. Then you yeah, 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 we've got that prepared. Yeah, exactly. And you used to do like 10 ass So you jokes. did fake improv. Oh, yeah. Fake improv. Like, every time this bell rings, you'll change the last word that you said. Ding. You know, it's like, torture the actor. You get a phrase and the actor leaves and they have to come in and guess the word. And back then, though, I was like, this is, this is art. Like, I literally was in high school and I saw that and I said to my dad, I was like, I want to do this. Yeah. And my dad's like, okay, we'll take classes and brought me into the city. And I was taking classes with people in their 20s and 30s. Where? At uh, Chicago? At Chicago City Limits. That's and where you started? Yeah. And where'd you, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Long Island and I would come into Manhattan to take so these classes. So you had good, you Jewish? No, I'm not. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, you not, know. Not that it matters. No, but I. I Sheer pe- should be Jewish. I know. I people think I'm, I'm a stage Jew. Yeah. People assume I'm Jewish. Oh, so that's all right. What, so what kind of parents did you have that would be so nice to let you do whatever the fuck you wanted to do? <laughs> my you? parents were divorced. Yeah. And my dad was super cool and he you know he would always be like he was like the like me dad the cool yeah, dad he was the like me dad he yeah. was the dad that would literally tape like Beverly Hills Cop and cut out the nudity so I could watch it you know or like armed and dangerous and be like alright I cut out the nudity so your dad you can... was an editor well he would do it over <laughs> on two VCRs just so no. I could see stuff oh and that's hilarious he would tape Saturday Night Live for me and give me that and I was like so my dad was very like into, uh, but I'm you sure live, he'll be listening to this too. You live with your mom? Yes, I live with my mom. So your mom was like in that position where she's got to train and be the disciplinary and yes. be the bad guy and your dad's like, hey, it's party time. My dad was the cool dad. He was like, let's go in the city. We'll go see comedy. I'll take you <laughs> yeah. to go take these classes. Oh, man. And I do remember though, uh, I took this class and, and you know, everyone after the class went to Central Park and was smoking a joint. Yeah. And I was, you know, like 14 years old. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is that? Like, yeah. Drugs? Like, what are they doing? Drugs? And I remember saying to the girl in my class who I had a friendship with, I was like, can you believe he's smoking pot? And she's like, yeah, what's the big deal? <laughs> I was like, oh, I mean, where'd he get that? <laughs> and she's like, what's the big deal? And then like a couple weeks have passed. I was like, I still can't believe that guy was smoking pot. She's like, what? Really? What's your problem? And then two weeks yeah. later, you're smoking pot. Yeah, and then I was totally <laughs> smoking pot. But I just was so like lying about my age all throughout that early time. Well, just what else did you learn in that time? Since you were the kid and they all knew you were a kid. I mean, which they didn't know. They all thought I was a freshman in uh, college. And I told them I was a freshman. And I told them I was a freshman in college, but I was only a freshman in high school. Oh my God! So, so yeah, I didn't know anything. But did you? Was that like? Did you? Was there sort of rites of passage? Did you do your first pot smoking with them? Did you get laid by an improv girl? No, I. It was basically I was a lot nerdier than that. No. I was I was the one just making up excuses, like literally being on the phone on a Friday night in my house in Long Island, like, like come, we're going to this party tonight. Come out to this party, like. Yeah. Uh, I, I got a lot of work to do. I, I can't come out just lying. Like every a lot of work to do around the apartment. Yeah, I just got a lot of work. You know, I'm going to college party. Yeah. Like, oh no, terrible. And then I eventually met up with that girl who thought I was like 18 or 19 many years later, and then she realized how old I was and just was no one ever mortified. On? No, no one ever caught on because then I stopped for a long time taking those classes. So where were some of the other places you want? I want to hear some more shitty stories. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, we've done. We did everything. We did a lot of uh, colleges. We did a lot of Jewish community centers. Like I've done some of those. They're weird because it's yeah. like usually old people, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of old people, and uh, they're not the best audiences. I feel like we went to a lot of places where it was sort of like, How are you oh. going to entertain them away from the Holocaust? Right, exactly, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we, would always get the, we would always get these notes before a show, like, yeah. please, no Holocaust jokes. Please, no jokes about this. Or... The worst was doing industrials where you would go and be like, for Merck Medco, yeah. like, all right, Here's make it. sure you say Johnny's a great golfer. And, right, yeah. right. and it was always given to you oh, by the God. one person who, like, every fact that that person gave you, no one else in the audience knew but that person. So you'd be like, well, I'm like Johnny on the golf course over here. And yeah. you hear one person go, ha, <laughs> yeah. like on the yeah. deadly silence. Right, and it was usually the boss. Yeah, and just everyone like, laughed late. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah we, Dressing up as like giant, like um, mu- like a literally like a muscle, not like a clam, uh, but like a muscle, like a body muscle, like f- to you know singing, you yeah, jing- like a singing pharmaceutical, like this bad is news, awful, awful bad, story. bad, bad stuff. But that was that was me from eighteen to 
21 until I saw UCB. But all right, I'll let you off the hook. No, I, that's I, 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 yeah, no, it was the yeah. fact that like, did, did, like as a comic, like if I got a corporate, there was just no way I would get hired for them. Number one, right, and number two, like the the amount of of weird ass kissing and pandering and and uh, and the repetition of it, I would want to hang myself. It was. Are you we know, still pretty excited throughout all that? I was I mean, super excited because huh. I was like, oh, I'm getting paid fifty dollars oh, to yeah. go to Albany, you know, and drive <laughs> for seven hours, and yeah. you know, I'm on the road. This yeah, is so yeah, much yeah, fun. Yeah. I did get in my biggest amount of trouble that I got into was yeah. um, I called somebody a mm. cunt. Which was in an improv. In an improv. <laughs> How did that? Uh, um, you get a suggestion? It was backstage. It was actually backstage, and we were on. There was this girl who was in our group who was not very well liked. And Eddie Pepitone. I was with Eddie Pepitone and Sean Conroy. He did. Oh, this for UCB or this for is, this is Chicago. They were Limits. both in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Oh. So this UCB didn't exist really. No, in New UCB York, was. Not, yeah, I actually saw UCB. Oh well, no, they did. That's where they started, really, wasn't it? In well, I saw. I saw UCB when they first got to New York, and that's what kind of open up my mind before they set up the school yeah i was i was there when they were doing an ascap for five people on the fifth floor walk up of like an above a hardware store i remember that space and it had those weird chairs right yeah those kind of plasticky shitty industrial chairs um all right let's get back to cunt yes so i was backstage and pepitone was saying like oh i can't perform with this person she's terrible i can't perform (laughs) with this person (laughs) she's like she's driving me crazy i Sheer, I can't do it. I can't go on. I can't go on. I don't feel safe with her. And I said, I Eddie. I don't feel safe. That's so Eddie. <laughs> and I, I go, <laughs> and I go, Eddie, she's a cunt. Leave it at that. And she was standing right behind me and she heard it and she walked off the show. Like literally, I was like, I'm leaving during the middle of the show, which forced us to finish the show. Just me. Who put Sean, the dress and on? I, and then I had to put the dress on again, <laughs> being the youngest. I put on the dress, and the whole and we got into trouble because she left and went home. And there was this whole big meeting, like who called this person a cunt? Who and saith I, the and cunt? I, and I was like, me. It was me. I said it, and there was like, no, no, no. You're too young to have said that yourself, Eddie made you say it that was like eddie got the blame for me it was Ed, only me saying it eddie was a fall guy yeah he eddie took was the a, hit for the Ed, cunt and eddie's like sheer you gotta take the you gotta take this because you could do this time on your head i'm an old man i can't i can't do this i can't do this <laughs> he's already an old man yeah. <laughs> and so like that was my that was the beginning of the end the the cunt story and then getting phone calls from everybody this woman's husband who called me up and was like you called my wife a cunt and I was like, I, you know, I was like, I had to explain. Never the easiest conversation to explain. Well, why no, you because what are you going to say? I meant it in a good way. I was like, exactly. I was just saying it because of this. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and that's what ended your Chicago. Uh, that was the beginning of the. What was end. it Chicago City Limits? Chicago that- City Limits. They're still around. I think they perform. Near yeah. like the New York Comedy Club now. Thank yeah. God for cunt. Yeah, thank God for cunt. And, and you might and still UCB. be doing it. If honestly, if I never saw UCB. I get chills thinking about it because the people that I perform with then are still performing now. In Chicago at, City Limits? Yeah. Like I'm doing road work? Doing improv. road work and doing it like Wednesday through Saturday. Like, not that there's anything bad with that. It just was like, I thought that was like the ultimate in improv. And I remember bringing over like newspaper clippings of UCB over to CCL and they were yeah. like, oh, they suck. They're never going to last. They're terrible. And like the UCB wanted to perform at the Chicago City Limits space. And the guy who ran Chicago City Limits is like, Psh, no, you can't perform here. Yeah. And the UCB got like a little bit confrontational, like, well, fuck you then. We'll do our own theater and our own thing. Did, did they call them cunts? They did not call them cunts. Because I think what we've witnessed here is an, a, 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 a proactive cunt story. That, that is it, yes. If you hadn't said cunt, there, there is an outside chance that you would have been doomed. I would have missed it. I would be performing on stage right now doing songs about like... Twitter. Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, Monica still. <laughs> uh, but there were some good people there. I mean, Daly and Sean sure. and, and Eddie, they're good guys. Yeah, so now UCB blew your mind. Like as So you were 22? I was, I was still, 21? I was 18 when I saw. What was the big difference? Because, I, I mean, what? Because certainly now uh, it seems that UCB, more than stand-up and more than just about anything else, is really a training ground for uh, for show business, for comedy business, for the comedy industry, uh, whether they like it or not. I'm sure they do. And I've talked about this with other people, that the experience you get with uh, working with other people, with writing and with improv, really prepares you for a lot of levels, a lot of different things in, in getting into comedy as a business. Yeah, well, you know, I think that I always envied 
that stand-ups had this community. Like there was a, you know, you'd go and hang out all night. A community and, of tragic friends. <laughs> yeah. But that's what kind of UCB put with like sketch and improv. It gave us Much a Much nicer hole. crew. Yeah, they were, they were very nice guys. <laughs> I mm. mean, everybody I'm friends with mm. now for like the last 12, 15 years. The but, stories about traveling on the road and saying cunt for stand-ups are much darker than, <laughs> than your cunt and road stories. <laughs> <laughs> but we saw, I saw UCB at, doing ASCAT and it was like five people in the crowd and I was like, whoa, this is what, I want to do like it was just that what they do at ASCAT they take one suggestion and they just perform for an hour. And ASCAT has evolved, I guess, into uh, if people don't know, it's a, a I, I've done it before. It's yeah. where I, as a comic, I go, I do a story, and then you have what five improvisers up there yeah. who sort of run with the, the 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 framework of your story. Yeah, they improvise uh, that that story inspires improvised scenes. And, right, and it was so cool to Did see. Did they invent that? that? No, I think Del Close in, uh, invented that idea of the long form improvisation and getting it out of, you know, just, you know, simple games and going right. into this like do whatever you want, there's no rules and mm-hmm. so yeah, so I got involved with them right when they started teaching classes and I was in the first level of their classes and learned with like Besser and Amy and Walsh and Ian and then eventually started teaching their classes. Really? Yeah, I taught for a lot of years over there. So you were so, a teacher? Yeah, I was taught at CCL too, but uh but yeah, I like I mean because I was there in the very beginning. Like I was, I think I'm one of the handful of people that are still at UCB that were taught by the original four. I'm just surprised that because like they were all contemporaries of mine for the most part, and yeah. now there's like an original generation being referred. Yeah, to. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, okay, so who is the community that your your contemporaries at UCB? I mean, how did you you know get aligned with? Uh, with uh, Aziz and uh, and uh, the other one. Well, oh, uh, Hubel? Yeah. Well, you know, basically, my group, like, from the beginning to still now is, like, Rob Riggle, Rob Hubel, Owen Burke, who's, like, a development executive at Gary Sanchez. And, and so, like, those are all my kind of friends. And, and Rob and I met up with Aziz. Aziz was doing this show called Crash Test, which was a stand-up show that he hosted. And the first week he hosted In New with, York. Yeah, in New York. And he hosted with Rob. And that was like way after I'd been at UCB for years. And then he hosted with Rob one week and he hosted with me the second week. And then we just started making these videos, essentially. That's so now Aziz, did he start doing stand-up in the, in, at UCB? You know, Aziz is a guy that he was, I think, taking some classes at UCB, but a lot of murmurs around Aziz. Like, oh, hey, hear about this guy, Aziz. Aziz is really funny. Have you heard about Aziz? Aziz, Aziz. And I was doing a UCB touring show. And you just I, couldn't get off the I road. Couldn't could get you? off the road. Couldn't take, couldn't get away from those sweet seventy five dollars. Thank God you like, got off of that. Uh, and uh, and I saw I met Aziz the first time, and we got along. We both loved Lost, and you know a bunch of other like The Wire and stuff. And so didn't we, you get in trouble for doing something around Lost? Or? Oh, I, I actually worked with those guys, the Lost guys, to help do like a promotion for them oh. last season. So oh, okay. it was like me breaking into ABC and all this like kind of like. I like bombarded them at Comic Con, but we were all in on it. It was oh, okay. all a, uh, a a thing. It's a big fake, a big fake, fake improv yeah. <laughs> with the creators of Lost. Uh, but yeah, so Aziz and I got along really early on, and and Rob and him got along really well. And, and Rob and I have been friends for a long time. And then uh, Rob's not a stand-up; he's an improviser. No, Rob's an improviser too. So Rob and I came from that background, and Aziz came from the stand-up world. So we kind of met in the middle. I think that Aziz right. had certain things that he was doing that we weren't doing, and. And I think that actually helped us when we went and did Human Giant. So, and now what was Human Giant? Because I think I was too old to give a shit. Human Giant was essentially Rob Aziz and myself and this guy Jason Wolner, who was our director. He's the guy who's got the he's over at the on the inside at uh, Adam McKay's company now. Uh, a little bit. I mean, he does a lot of different stuff. He he's directed For Funny or Die. He does more like I'm trying to like he's directed Parks and Recreation. He's directed uh, Eagle Heart, the new Chris Elliott show on Adult Swim. He. I'm missing like a bunch of different things. So he's a director. He's a director, incredibly and great writer too. And uh, and basically, the four of us got together and we made this short called Shutterbugs about like child talent agencies. And yeah. So it was just like, and it was just like you know just being nasty to little kids. Yeah. And we made that as a short. And yeah. Then we made this other thing called Illusionators. Yeah. Which was Aziz and I, and we were uh, Chris Angel like magicians. Right. And then uh, uh, MTV saw that and was like, "Do you want to do a show?" And we're like, "Yeah, let's." do a show you'll never pick it up because you're mtv and you do the hills and yeah laguna beach you're not gonna pick us our, you know we're like three ugly white guys like you know not all white guys but you know we're three weird looking dudes and we shot our pilot and just did it like kind of balls out and just did whatever we wanted to do and they're like yeah let's do this 
and we were blown away that they let us. Do what year was that? Uh, like I don't know, like two thousand six, two thousand seven. So now maybe. at that point, so you did like twenty episodes. Yeah, we did. We did two seasons. We were offered a third, and in our third season, Aziz got offered Parks and Rec, and it was the issue of could we try to do a whole season in about two or three months which was impossible because we took about a year to do each season. It was just like we'd shoot like a hundred and something sketches and then with six months of editing and six months of shooting. So we just figured we would compromise ourselves artistically. So we were like, let's not do really third season. We're like, we like each other. We are not leaving this process mad. So let's get out while the getting is good. And it seems like you laid a foundation for something because it's one of those shows that has a, a cult following. And I imagine that, not you know, I didn't mean to be uh, a dick about it, but I just it was off my radar as is no, most yeah. things. But I imagine you picked up a lot of fairly young fans that that aligned themselves with you guys comedically, and, and you brought them along with you now as a fan base. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, uh, I think that we people just, talk about it. It's got yeah. a lot of respect. You know, we had a lot of fun, and the one person I'm forgetting to mention too is Tom Giannis, who you may or may not know, who's been around for a long time. He was our showrunner, and you know, I think that we tried really hard. To not be derivative or repetitive of old things and really fight that MTV system over there because, you know, we did a sketch, you know, that was about uh, hot air balloon cops who would do uh, who would chase do like uh, car chases. Right. But they could never catch up because they're in a hot air balloon. Right. So, like, I remember MTV looking at us and going like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would they be in a hot air balloon if there's a car chase? Wouldn't they be in a car? Like no, no, that's that's, that's a, a joke. that's a joke. Yeah. So like we were fighting through notes like that through like guys wow, that's who a, they, you must have been they they must have been training oh. learning disabled people. Well, it was we were literally getting notes from the dude who produced Reverend Run's house, mm-hmm. which is great. It won a bunch of whatever it won, but right. that's not the same that's thing. So like, funny, yeah. their awards are so meaningless. It won one of those things that they get. They had a lot of awards on his shelf, <laughs> yeah. but did not say like you could give us notes on sketch comedy and Tom Giannis, such like. The bully that you want on your side. Like, right. We had this whole sketch that ended with, um, it said, uh, do not adopt. Your real parents will never love you as much as, uh, as an adopted parent. <laughs> and we really wanted that tag on the scene. And censor sh- the censor department was like, no, you can't, you can't do that. And Tom, uh, Tom was like, why? Why can't you do it? And this woman's like, well, I'll tell you. I'm adopted and I'm offended by this sketch. That is untrue. You're your adopted parents can love you as much as your real parents. Oh, my God. And Tom's like, I'm adopted. And I wrote this sketch because I needed to express how I felt about being adopted. Now, he's not adopted. Right. But he would lie. <laughs> and just and then the woman's like, oh, my God, you're adopted. Oh, oh, we're both adopted. And they shared this bond. And we got that sketch on the air. <laughs> so it was like a constant battle every day of yeah. just like pushing through and, and trying to do the best stuff and if you know we, we you know obviously I, I the sketch that kind of blew my mind when I was a kid was uh, Mr. no it was uh, it was uh, ben, or Ben Stiller ben show Shore, yeah like, I loved the Ben Stiller show and and Aziz and Rob I think really were like loved Mr. Show and I did too but it, like, it's you know we all came from the same kind of we liked the same stuff but we made sure we were never did anything that kind of walked on those same beats that they did and we tried and we brought in amazing writers like Brian Posehn and John Glazer and you know, Patton for a human Oswald. giant. Yeah, and they would come in for a day. Like Patton would come in for a day, and like I got this idea, and he would just you know do it. And Nick Swartzen, and we had the best. Oh, that's comedy interesting. Writers so you, come in. so guys who took a liking to your show, yeah. you know, decide they would be part of it for not a real fee or just to for yeah, fun. Yeah, they would come in for a day. I mean, the the writers that we worked with a lot were John Glazer and Eric Appel, but like Patton and and Posehn and Swartzen, all those guys would come in for a day and just like I have this idea. And then they'd spend a day. Just because you'd call them or they were into it? Uh, because we'd call them. And, you know, they like, you know, Patton liked disease and Tom Giannis had a lot of old friends that he would call in. And, and uh, yeah, and, and, you know, they would be in the show, too. We'd put them in the show, all the people that we thought were funny. And that sort of integrated you into the uh, the comedy nerd universe. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, like, we wanted to do a show that we were like, let's get everybody that we could think of that was funny. And if they want to be a part of it, they can be. And if they don't, they don't have to were be. Were you but. surprised at who showed up? Yeah, I was really, I was really surprised. Like you'd be like, oh, I wouldn't think that this guy would come in for yeah, a yeah, day yeah, to yeah. write, and and they would. And I think Tom Tom's whole point of view was, well, look, they're not doing their own sketch show, and sometimes you have a sketch in the back of your head that you can't execute in any other way. So 
come in and do it. Well, that's interesting. I yeah. wonder if that happens very often. I've not heard of that happening. Yeah, I think you know and maybe I think people the, are afraid to ask too. You know, well, I just think, and by virtue of the fact that it was MTV and it was sort of uh, it kind of rebellious and, and new, yeah. and that you know people respected the comedy, that they were just sort of like, why not? Yeah, it yeah. was. It was really. We we really lucked out, and MTV on the second season really let us do whatever we wanted. We like the first season, we had like a team of people giving us notes. The second season, we had this one great guy, and he just really just helped us get everything through. He only cut two sketches. One was a sketch with me and Kristen Schaal, where I played a religious abortion doctor. So I'd be like, "Oh Lord, bless my hands as I scrape this, you know, yeah. fetus out of this woman's." You know, and they were like, "We'd never, we could yeah. never air that." Did but you think they would? No, but we figured, why not shoot it? <laughs> <laughs> we shot it. We we're like, maybe we could scoot it by. Was there blood? Uh, there was no blood. It was okay. just a lot of uh, religious objects around the room, right, right, right. and a woman in stirrups. Right. Uh, but Kristen Schaal's super funny in that. But yeah, we worked with like. Only people that we really, really wanted to work with, and that was yeah. really fun for us. That's fucking great. Yeah, that was and really you're fun. one of these people that uh, I resent a bit, only because <laughs> I, I didn't. I, you know, I'd always seen you around, and, and we never really talked. And then when we did, I liked you. But, but you're, you seem very well adjusted. So oh, I, I don't, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> I, I, you would be surprised. Yeah, like what? No, I have, I have, uh, <laughs> I have demons. Yeah, I have demons. I really do. Uh, do my they? mom got divorced three times when I was a kid growing up. Yeah, yeah, that was a little rough. We lived a lot in uh, small apartments and moved around Long Island. Uh, did, did you say things like "Daddy two, there's da- <laughs> Daddy one"? Daddy I have uh, no, no dad, no daddies. Uh, Just weird stepdads. Yeah, weird stepdads. I remember um, I had one stepdad who re- refused to let me call him by his name. His name was Cordell. I could not call him Cordell. I had to call him. He, he made me call him Daddy, which is, in retrospect, weird. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, I, you know, the craziest thing. Yeah. You know, I'll be embarrassed that my dad is probably going to listen to this. But my dad got into a fist fight with my stepdad in front of me which when I was a stepdad? kid. Which stepdad? Stepdad, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was crazy. As a kid, to see, like, your real dad and your stepdad, like, how, fight, like, how fucking go for it. How? I was young. I was like, I was like nine or what ten. What was that about? It <laughs> was even like know? I remember seeing it. Like my dad and I come back from apple picking and and my apple step- picking and apple watching picking. videos and going to New York <laughs> Just City, loving it. My my dad and I went to a Martin Lawrence concert at Radio City Music Hall. Yeah, run tell that. And we were like in the center, the only white people at this Martin Lawrence <laughs> concert. I was like begging him, we gotta go see Martin. I brought my dad to Def Jam comedy, like. <laughs> He came, my dad was a good trooper at all this yeah. stuff. But You were a big hip-hop guy? Um, I just, you know what, as a kid, I was like, I didn't know, I loved, like, I, I don't say black comedy, but I know, like, that was like a thing, like, I loved Eddie Murphy, I loved Martin Lawrence, I yeah. loved that show, and so I just was like, Def Jam, yes, yeah, yeah, I yeah. want to see that. And then and we'd also go see George Carlin every single year in New York yeah. City, and go see his shows. And it's good like, dad. Yeah, he was the best. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, so they got to this fist fight, like... All I remember back is from this, apple picking, uh, back bag from of apples, a, back from apple picking, sitting, uh, coming in, seeing my stepdad who's in a bathrobe. My stepdad was a truck driver for a supermarket, you know, and, and uh, my dad came in and he goes, you don't say fucking hello to me, Bill. And my dad's Whoa. like, my dad's <laughs> like, I said hello to you. It's your fucking fault. If you didn't hear it, then all of a sudden my stepdad picked up a coffee mug, fucking wailed it at the like my dad's head. My dad ducking it, exploded on the wall, <laughs> no and way. then then all of a sudden like they just went at it like a grappling thing around my kitchen table. My dad's the the most nice, you know, well-adjusted guy. And then all of a sudden, apples are flying. So, like, I'm throwing apples. My dad is throwing apples. My, and they fight out until they, like, literally leave the house, like, outside the front door. Oh, no. Like, that kind of fighting. My dad's a pharmacist. And again, like, you know, and my pharmacist fighting a truck driver. It was, like, something, like, out of a Clint Eastwood movie. It was, like, boom, boom. It was insane, insane stuff, you know? That was like, yeah, so... How how did that resolve itself? It resolved itself very cheesily, which was, (laughs) um, uh, like, hours later, um, I got on the phone, and Cordell was on the phone in my house, and my dad was on a payphone, and they apologized to each other while I was in the middle. Like, you know, because I could be For your benefit? Yes, for my benefit to hear them apologize to each other. They all decided probably on your mom's instruction that this wasn't a good thing for the kid to see? Exactly. So they had to, like, get together and apologize (laughs) over me. So that was... That was a yeah, like that. Looking back on that, that was a pretty terrible. Do you remember being upset? What was your reaction? Were you crying? Was it? Like, oh yeah, I mean it's. It was it, all just chaos. It so was chaos, and also like crazy because it's like you're watching 
your dad get into a fight? And Did like, you I like the guy? I didn't Bill? like this. My, uh, my Bill, my dad, loved. Uh, my stepdad hated him. It was like an abusive fuck of a dude. Like a terrible so, Oh, dude. your dad is Bill. My dad is Bill, yeah. And your, your stepdad was... Cordell. Just, oh, that was Cordell. That was Cordell. And he was just an abusive, bad dude. But, uh, yeah, you know, he'd come home, like, literally an arm in a cast because he got into a fight with, you know, at, like, work, you know. like Did he beat you up? Um, yeah, like, a little bit. I mean, like, I say it very cavalierly, but, yeah, like, I mean, we would get into some fucking I can't even fights. Imagine. Like, I can't even imagine that. Like, we, I lived on a farm, and, like, we had horses and dogs and stuff, and, like, I would talk back a lot. Like, I, that was my thing and that's what uh, comics do yeah and so that's like <laughs> that's how I, we find our voice yeah i got into a lot of <laughs> I, I was talking to like uh people this weekend i was like i got into a ton of fights all until like eighth grade and i was like oh i gotta stop did this. you win yeah because i was fighting a 40 year old guy at home like that's why i was i was getting I, it's good so at funny, it out of all the people in the world i would never assume you were a scrapper oh god big time like i uh because you, you fight this big fucking 40 year old dude this fat dude who's strong and like literally like throwing a pitchfork at me like and dodging a pitchfork get the like, fuck out of here oh yeah like getting locked up in like well i can see barn. why you, I can see why your mom loved him oh yeah it was crazy like my mom i think rebelled in the most crazy way because my dad's so l- nice and, and great and, and the man she's married to right now also wonderful and great but it finally was, got a good one yeah and i think it was just sort number of like four Number. This is number three. This is number three. Oh, so, so, so the first one. First one was my dad. Then it was. Uh, then it was this guy Cordell, and then it was this guy that she's married to now. Okay, so, it's so three. Two, th- right, yeah, two, two. Yeah. So I moved to three different houses. Right. But there was dating involved in there too. So you're saying that that okay? So Cordell was like your mom's fuck you to your dad. Yeah, I think that she didn't. She was like, I want something different, and she got something. <laughs> insanely different <laughs> uh you know like it was it was a crazy a pitchfork at you oh that, and that's not even the worst i mean like 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 but i because of that kind of style of fighting i think i never realized how strong i was so like when i was in uh, <laughs> the dodging pitchfork style yeah well like it was like you know you just learn to be like more of a grappler you know yeah, it's yeah. like you know a lot of like just slaps and runs or punches in the stomachs and runs and uh but when i was in sixth grade i got into this fight with this kid and he, like, gave me, like, a sixth-grade punch. Like, boom, you know, a punch in the face. I remember I... Oh, no, this is ninth grade. I'm sorry. Yeah. He gra- and I grabbed him by the neck, and we were by a car, and there was, like, a car fender there. And I was like, whap, whap, like, his face into a car fender. Oh, we were both fuck. suspended from school, <laughs> yeah. you know, and because he started it, I got to go back, and he got kicked out. But it was... But, like, that kind of, like, did not realize, like, uh, I was fighting for a much, you know, yeah. I was, yeah. You're going for the fucking yeah. money. You're going <laughs> to... Did, yeah. you have to, did they have to pull you off him? Uh, I remember that was the time where, like, my knuckles were bloody from just, like, punching. Like, oh, my God. That was a rough... Yeah, I was a bruiser as a I kid. Had no I had fucking idea. Paul Shear, badass. <laughs> but <laughs> I stopped. Fuck? I stopped that. I don't you had to give that. it up? I had to give it... Because... Went to I comedy. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just turned it into a different direction. Yeah, I just, I couldn't... I remember, like, honestly just being, like, I think at one fight when I was a kid, and this is, like, an early... Like, yeah, like, 10th or 11th grade being, like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like this. Well, like, how the fuck you? I mean, it must have been some sort of crossroads. Thank God you had your real dad there. You know, mm-hmm. the, you could have ended up a, just a fucked up kid. Yeah. I mean, for I, sure. I mean, what what led to that decision? I think that my dad came every weekend, so he was able to kind of take me out, and we would go oh, every weekend. We'd go and do something fun, so it was like a break. And he would also come like every Tuesday and Thursday, I think, to my house and like hang out. So I saw my real dad a lot. And I think that was a good relief. And then my mom kind of wised up at a certain point. She's like, oh, we're out of here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, guy's throwing a pitchfork at yeah. my kid. This guy has more guns than he has uh, shirts, you know. Holy shit. Yeah. How'd she shake him? That sounds like it would have been hard oh, to man, shake that we, guy. This is, you want to hear how you shook him? This yeah. is a crazy thing. Um, my mom created, <laughs> she pretended that he won a trip, a hunting trip. She like like created these envelopes and was like Cordell you won this trip and she and, did the layout and, and everything she did, she did everything and he got a she got him plane tickets got him a hotel and created this whole like fantasy seven days away from him the minute he left the house a moving truck pulled in and we got all of our shit out of the house and we took off you left Cordell's we farm left, yeah we left Cordell's farm and we moved into a small one bedroom apartment or two bedroom apartment and uh, and just that was it so he comes back and he comes back the house is empty and uh and then he found us at a certain point and that was weird 
Uh, but you know, it was like he was on his best behavior at Didn't that. Didn't she point. have to get divorced and everything? Yeah, she had to get divorced. But it was sort of like I, that is where I'm a little foggy on how that happened. Like I'm just seeing it as a kid and being like, "Okay, we're moving all of our stuff. Let's get out of here." <laughs> oh my god! You know, and uh, you know, so I didn't know how all that how all that shook out. But yeah, we yeah. Then my mom started dating him for a little bit. Like they went on a couple of dates and like one of his before the divorce to see if it would still. Yeah, Steve, she got she got some boundaries and exactly. And uh, it, you know, thank God that didn't stick. I remember as a kid thinking to myself like. Oh, God, please. And, oh, you know, the worst part about it, too, as a kid, I was relieved. Cordell was a born-again Christian. Yeah. Like, like born-again Christian to the point where you would, my mom got rebaptized in a big pool, and the pool's in the front of the church, and everyone speaks in tongues. And you were there? You know, oh, I spent... How old? Every, now, how old? Oh, God, for like three or four years. Like, like when ninth I was like, grade? Or? No, no, like probably like fourth to sixth grade, like in that area. So you had to go to a born-again Christian church? Oh, for like hours on a Sunday, like hours and hours. And it was like, everyone's like, and the Lord said, speaking in tongues and like people are getting healed and... It was crazy. And like my, my parents took away, my mom took my Weird Al Yankovic in 3D album and broke it over her knee because it was a song was on there. It was called Nature Trail to Hell. And it was on one of the, uh, the devil worship lists that like the, the church had given them. Like these, if your children have any of these albums and one of them was a Weird Al album, you must find this and destroy it. She destroyed it in front of you. Yes. And that and my LL Cool J album. Your, oh shit. Yeah. And, uh, I was, it was terrible. I was crying, like, no, my Weird Al, my Weird Al album. Like, did you ever tell Weird Al that story? I did, actually. I got to tell Weird Al that story, which was awesome. And a great full uh, 360 there. Oh, my God. How did um, he respond? He just thought it was insane because it's, the song is called Nature Trail to Hell in 3D about going to a drive-in to see a horror movie called Nature Trail to Hell in 3D. Like, it's, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing satanic about Weird Al Yankovic at yeah, all. Like, in the, no greatest stretch of the imagination but like you know and i'd listen to in excess and my mom's but like that might be satan it might be <laughs> that you never know they're you very never know. cunning he's charming and that's it that and was very weird funny out. yeah satan comes in hawaiian shirts yeah <laughs> you know yeah yeah but my mom uh like took all my action figures away and gave me like 10 commandments <laughs> oh, figures on, like i had like on. i had moses like literally like a moses action figure and he had like two tablets in his hand like oh, the 10 come commandments you're kidding me oh no it what'd was, you do with those action figures i would play with them like i would play batman or gi joe like flying just moses <laughs> yeah like i would i would like make them like i'd make moses like swing down a pole and change in, and get into a batmobile and i had still the batmobile so <laughs> moses drive a batmobile like he still had a job uh, it was put, crazy put moses in the batmobile oh it was insane and and uh <laughs> You know, like that was a, a dark period. Like I think I'll about say. coming home to that house and my mom on a big, my mom's still on a religious kick watching Jesus of Nazareth, which was like a 12 part documentary of like, yeah, I remember Jesus, that. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Watching that like over and over, that was her Saturday nights, like watching that. And oh, God. just like my mom has become better now. And you but go the, up and put, you put Moses in the Batmobile. Yeah. And just drive around <laughs> my, like, what am I doing? Like, you know, this is terrible. Like, terrible terrible oh, times oh, in no. my household yeah that was, is fucking grim dude. oh yeah it was a dark dark time. what how did she come out of it i think that like it really was i mean you know whatever i, I say it cavalierly now but it was dark like there was some points like i don't know if i saw everything that my mom experienced back then because it was it was uh i was away on the weekends i think that's when it got rough i mean i remember many times us going to uh going to hotels and stuff like that but bar none i think this is the end of the 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 beginning of the end for us was uh there was a loaded handgun in our house and i remember cordell having my mom like held like a hostage with a handgun and seeing that as a kid what during a fight during a fight and that was like i remember like going what is going like that you know as a kid and as a kid i can say it now and i go wow like even thinking about it now, I'm like, wow, that was crazy dark. Like I, that's insane. But uh, like as a kid, it doesn't register. I don't think as like what's well, going on. Well, do you on? just probably sense that your mom's in danger? Yes, and that was like, and that's I remember horrifying. like you must have just been crying all the fucking time. Yeah, and I remember saying to my mom like, we got to get out of here. Like I mean, my mom's like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. I was like, we got to oh go, we got to go. Did and, he hit her too? Um, yeah, he hit me, he hit her. I mean, I, but you know what? Never to the point of like we never were hurt. So I think that was like my, like that was always my kind of uh, 
like line like oh well we don't have broken arms or we don't have this or we don't have that was there some party that felt bad for him um like he, no like, no he, he wasn't no i thought of it like he he didn't even like, he didn't cry and apologize and fucking you he know. would apologize but he was like a like he was like an older brother instead of a yeah a dad yeah. like so it was like that kind of relationship so it was a lot of like yeah a lot of like and a lot of like you know like i think he was in, like competitive for my mom's affection towards me which is insane it's like well that's a mother and a son that's not yeah. you're a husband and you know so it would come out a lot in indian burns like you know like you know like uh, you know like that kind of yeah, stuff yeah, which would yeah. really hurt and but i do remember um calling like like we like we called child protective services at one point and they came to the house and they interviewed our parents side by side and uh and they were like, does this happen? And my mom's like, no. Cordell and your mom. My mom. And they're like, no. And they talked to me and I was like, yes. And they're like, oh, well, the kid's lying. The parents are telling the truth. And then and they did you get left. it beaten for that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, there was cra- I mean, it was. The gun thing, though. So that, like, shortly yeah. after your mom designed that was the hunting about, trip? Yeah, I think it was about roughly that time. Holy um, shit. Yeah. Who's she married to now? She's married to a great guy, this guy, Walter. Oh. Awesome. And you very, get along with your mom? I get along with my mom very well. We actually have a better relationship now. How do you think you managed to not get as fucked up as many people in that situation? Aside from fighting, you decided not to fight anymore because your dad's influence. But I mean, holy shit. I mean, you're a pretty fucking pleasant guy. Well, I think, uh, thank you for saying, but I, I think uh, I think I had a good escape back then, though, in a way. Like, I feel like, I don't know, like, what I love TV and movies, and I really got into, Moses like, comedy. Moses in the Batmobile. Yeah, Moses in the Batmobile. But, like, I really got into movies and tv and, and the I comedy was a real comedy reprieve. yeah i really like, i listened to like smothers brothers albums like i had all my dad's old smothers brothers albums and just like it was just fun to kind of like sit and and hear that and i remember like even reading like an article i think it was a smothers brothers article like where i think they had some messed up parents and right. i was like and i remember going like oh okay well that's cool because maybe they had messed up parents i had messed up parents maybe that that it evens out. Like it's like that's what I'm like. If I want to do this, like, I have to have that. Or well, but I, also I think there's something that I've experienced is that I never quite understood why until you know as I talk to more comedic performers yeah. that you know when you think about doing comedy and you're coming from that that you're really thinking about doing something that might have been the only thing that made you feel better. Yeah, and that you couldn't you can't really think of what else you would do. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, like I remember, like as a kid, like I was like, all I wanted to do was like do what Eddie Murphy does. Like I want to be like Eddie Murphy. I want to be like Eddie Murphy. And I would just sit out on my front yard and act out sketches and just like talk did you to know, myself. Did you know Delirious? Oh yeah, I watched Delirious on HBO. We didn't get HBO, but back when cable was old, you would have like you could hear, but you couldn't see. And so that, oh, that was weird uh, yeah, half like, station. Squiggle. Yeah, you watch. Yo, so I would watch uh, Delirious like that, like listening to delirious you saw like half of eddie murphy just like, and then like, like going yeah. in and out like yeah yeah, yeah yeah like like it was like the like something had yeah it was just like and i just remember watching that and tears just streaming down my face going like this is the funniest thing i've ever heard in my life like yeah. boogie in my butt and like yeah. those albums and yeah. and i got away with a lot because my dad i think would buy me these albums not realizing how dirty they were, like, you know, like... But did you have to hide them at the other house, or did you keep them at your dad's house? I kept them in my house, and I just listened to them in my in my room. Like, no one would come up there to see what I was listening to, so... so Cordell and the, Cordell the Christian he, Brigade would not come in? And, yeah, like, I guess, like, for some reason, like, tapes... They didn't have, like, stand-up comedy tapes run on those lists, so I could yeah. have my Billy Crystal You Look Marvelous <laughs> album and, like, listen to that and, like, listen to they, Stephen Wright. They and have an to... effective way to dramatically destroy tapes. Exactly, right. <laughs> <laughs> Records you could break. Just, yeah, these, like, they couldn't do anything. Yeah. So, yeah, it was all, like, Bill Cosby, Emo Phillips, Smothers Brothers. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, it was, like, it was, yeah, it was great. Like, I just remember, like, and I didn't listen to music when I was a kid, so I only listened to comedy. I think maybe that's... A trick too, like I would never go to my room and be like, I'm listening to music. I'd be like, I go to my room and listen to albums, like like headphones. Andrew Dice Clay, yeah, put on those and just sit there and just be like, yeah, yeah, and just laugh by yourself. Yeah, and then you had siblings, or you didn't? No siblings, and wherever I lived, I had no buddy lived near me. No kids lived near me, so I was always alone in the neighborhood. There was no kids to play with after school, so it was Uh like always comedy and like I would so sad I would take like Running Scared was this like Gregory Hines Billy Crystal movie like a buddy yeah, I remember comedy that, yeah. and I would take my tape recorder and put it by my TV and tape the movie on cassettes and then bring those cassettes like with me on my bus to school and be uh-huh. like listening to like movies like that like listen to full movies like like albums so, that's like, amazing yeah so I did that I think you that didn't was, have friends oh I had friends I had yeah. friends I got 
I always seemed to get like, like I got popular at certain points, but I was always a nerd. Like wherever I went, the first two years I was a nerd and an outcast, and then the last two years I had friends. What so was your What was your nerd focus? Was it just comedy, or did you do other shit? Um, I mean, were you a good was, student? I, th- I mean, um, yeah, I guess I was an okay student. Um, no Dungeons think, and Dragons. Or no anything. Dungeons and Dragons. I think I was just like in my own world. I think I was a little bit more of like a an outsider. Yeah, like yeah. A, like a, like a kid who would be like drawing, and then someone would be like, "Hey," and I'm like, "What?" Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, and look yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. you know, like that kind of like. But then I like I remember like um, I was making out with this girl in sixth grade, and that was like I was like one of the first kids to make out with a girl in sixth grade, and like that was that ascended my popularity for a little bit, and then immediately like the next year. I went to like a new school and then I was like back down in the dregs again. <laughs> just, you know, like, oh, I had it. I had it all. Now I lost back, it. Back amongst the people. Yeah, just terrible. So now this, uh, the league show has got a lot of funny people. You're on the league, which is on FX. Yes, uh, with uh, Mark Duplass, who is a. I know Mark. I've interviewed him for another show. Yeah, Mark's super nice guy. The inventor of Mumblecore with Mumble his brother. Core, yes. Jay Duplass. And they did a movie I saw with my buddy Josh Leonard's in about the oh, gay... Hum- oh, The Hump Day, right? Hump Day, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so the, uh, he's in it. Steve Ranazizi, who was on your show. I know Steve very yeah. well. He's a good guy. Super funny guy. We just actually came back very from a f- tour. Effectively funny. How'd that tour go? Did it was it- actually really fun. We sold out every venue that we did. You which did? Which was really good. Yeah, for two weeks' notice, it was really great. And man, watching Steve perform, I, I have a whole new respect for him. I've, you I've, in or you out? I, <laughs> well, you know what it is? It's like, he's... He it, like, there's no put on with Steve. Like his personality that he is he's in real a, life, he is on stage. He's a real guy's guy. Yeah, and he's an effective comic, and he's know? a nice guy too. Like, he is. like I've never really done stand up, and this is my first foray into it on this tour a little bit. I've and been. Who are you with? You were Steve, Steve, Nick Kroll, who you had on the show, who's yeah, yeah, super I funny. Love I love Nick, Nick and yeah. Nick and I have worked together a ton. Um, and uh, John Lajoie, who's like an internet superstar Canadian right. guy. So it was me, Lajoie, Kroll, and Steve on the road. And those guys all go on the road solo all the time and they, do their yeah, shows. They, yeah. uh, I go on the road with Hubel a lot, and Hubel and I do our own thing on the road, and we have like a Usually. two-man thing that right. we do, and it's fun. But I never went on by myself, and I was getting all this nervousness. Like, they're like, just do stand-up or do something. And so like for the last couple of months... I'm You'd open? Been, uh, I would actually... I did two little slots in the... Like, we would come in and out. Like, so we'd come like... It would be like uh, the stand-ups would kind of buffer it, but LeJuan and I would do two small sets okay. in, in, in between the show. But like the last four months, I've just been going to like these really small open mics, like 10 people there, and just trying out stuff and trying to work on stuff. And, but you really can't tell in front of like 10 Comics. or 20. Yeah. And so this is like my first foray out there, and the first night I did it, I was nervous. Like I was like, I'm comfortable on stage, but I was nervous – doing that like i was i was just nervous like oh people are gonna think i suck and i was really nervous and steve gave me some really good advice he's like he's like you got funny jokes he's like just sit back and just just let them all breathe and then the next night that we did it i just took that advice and was able to really find it and i found like all this new stuff and then the next night after that same thing and i just like i was able use to use your like, improv drop. skills so yeah like, without panicking and rushing through the jokes uh, and, and, and and letting the laughs happen, you were able to add to it once you felt the, the fuel of the laughter. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I think it was also like trying to figure out exactly what my voice was too. Like I like, and I think like I have a voice when I'm on stage. Like Rob and I host this show, Crash Test, in LA here, and we're on stage. We do that show is so much fun for us. We get to do bits, and we we do kind of a two man stand up. We yeah. come up with a bunch of loose ideas, we improvise off of it, and we do some bits. And and like I ha- I was like, how can I take that? persona or that way that I speak there and bring it over here and I think I was able to transition that a little bit and find like oh if I say things in this voice I can kind of milk things a little bit more than me trying to imitate what I think a stand up should be right right you know right. which is a, and it worked yeah I hope it did I mean I'm I'm Would no you get laughs yeah okay so and I, I felt really good about it and I, and I think you know it's something that I would love to try to do more but I have such respect for you know, people like yourself and people like Steve and, and Nick who yeah. are doing it every night. I was like, I always felt like I can't be a stand-up because I don't, I'm, I'm doing, I can't do it every night. I would love to do it every night. Well, I'd love to be in New York City and do it every night. Well, I appreciate that respect because uh, not everybody has that, but it, but it sounds to me like you know, you've certainly, you certainly paid your dues in a lot of different ways <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're a funny guy, so I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, it's been it's been fun, and, and traveling with those guys are great. Everyone's well, tell, so different. I don't know if everybody knows about the show, and, and I haven't watched it myself. So, why don't you explain the, what the show is and, and how uh, 
Because I know you guys do a, a sort of improvisational yeah. model. It's basically kind of like Curb Your Enthusiasm where right. we have like a big outline and then we go in and we improvise the scenes. And you know right. there are and the cool thing is it's written and uh, created by Jeff and Jackie Schaefer and Jeff Schaefer wrote on Bruno Borat. He was on Seinfeld and writes and directs Curb. So he comes from this lineage of just He's like a comedy robot. But it's you know? about a bunch of guys in a uh, fantasy baseball. A fantasy league. football league. Oh, fantasy yeah, football Yeah, so league. basically, yeah, so it's about a bunch of guys in a fantasy football league in their late 20s and early 30s who are just kind of like getting divorced, married with a kid, not married, wanting a kid, single, and just kind of like being like... Guys. Yeah, guys is like, I'm an adult, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. like, how does that kind of affect us? And yeah. the football thing, like, I'm not the biggest football fan, but... And, uh, but it, you don't have to be. It's just about right. people in that age sure. group experiencing sure. that. And then this guy, Jeff Schaefer, you know, he gives us so much comedy. And Jackie, too. Jackie comes from, like, the world of development. She developed, like, Disturbia and Old School. And so the two of them write really funny outlines. So you never feel like, go in and improvise. Like, I've done so many shows right. where it's you, like... You've actually got what's supposed to be funny and what you're moving towards. Exactly. And you can, you can trump their jokes, which they love. But right. if you just do what they have written, it would be funny. Right. And Nick and I actually wrote two episodes this year. So that was really fun. And working with them was really fun on how to kind of create the show. But it's great. It's been really, it's one of the most fulfilling experiences I've had doing that show. Well, right on, Paul Shear. Good talk. Good talk. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That's it. That's our show. Uh, thank you for listening. And thank you, Paul Shear, for being a guest on our show. Hey, folks, if you need anything that has to, anything to do with WTF, go to WTFpod.com. We got your JustCoffee.coop there. If you, uh, if you get the WTF blend, they kick me a few shekels. Uh, but they have a lot of great coffees. I'm drinking it right now. Hold on, just for you. Pow! Oh, I think I shit my pants. How's that? Pretty good. Go to PunchlineMagazine.com for anything comedy news related. StandUpRecords.com. To see their catalog, they've got my three CDs. I've also got them, too, and you can order those at WTFPod.com. Make a donation, and by all means, get on the mailing list at WTFPod.com because I am mailing uh, out things every week, and I try to make them special for you. Also, the premium episodes are available at WTFPodShop.com. we got four up there. We're about to put up a new one. And uh, as always, thanks for listening, and, and I know I'm full of the beans today, and that's okay with me. Oh, I'm just happy that Jessica turned her iPad off and I don't have to listen to the, uh, the, the, the Angry Birds game. What was the other game? Pocket Frogs. She switched from Pocket Frogs to Angry Birds and I didn't know the noise. And last night when she started playing it, I thought there was an animal in trouble outdoors. Talk to you Monday.